Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. On today's episode, I am speaking with Catherine McLean. She is a 23-year-old living with Clubfoot in the UK. And Catherine talks about her experience receiving treatment in Ireland, what happened when she no longer was following up for treatment, but started to experience more issues with her clubfoot as a teenager and young adult, and the adjustments that she made in order to help accommodate and make her life um, easier. And I am so grateful that Catherine is on the podcast today talking about her experience. It She is a wealth of knowledge, and I know that you guys are going to learn so much. I know that I have learned so much from our conversations about just from the parenting perspective of um, things that I can do to help my cutie as she grows. And I know you're going to learn a lot from Catherine today. So let's just jump in. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited that you reached out and that we were able to make this happen. I'm so grateful for you coming on and just talking about your experience with Clubfoot. I think it's super beneficial to everybody listening to have such a different um, variety of voices. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. Why don't we just start with you telling us about your kind of Clubfoot story and what your treatment experience was like? Of course. So um, I was born with um, pretty severe bilateral um, club foot, which affected both feet more or less equally. Mm. Um, I think I was taken, my mom tells me, from the maternity ward to orthopedic when I was just one day old. um, And I was put in my first set of plaster casts then. Uh, That would be the first of many, unfortunately. Mm. Um, So these casts were then changed weekly for about four months. and yeah, my parents tell me I cried every single time <laughs> my feet were manipulated for the repositioning each week. And I think that was quite hard um, on them, at least at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So then four months um, old. So when I had kind of finished that first set of treatment, um, I was put in these special orthopedic shoes with, that had the metal bar that bolted your feet together. Mm-hmm. And that was to be worn for 23 hours a day. Um but after four months of that, mm-hmm. uh, the doctors called me in again for a, just a checkup appointment, and it was decided that the positioning wasn't good enough. Um, there hadn't really been that much improvement, and that was when, at eight months old, I had my first surgery, which was to reposition the Achilles tendons. I think it was just from one side of the ankle to the other, mm-hmm. uh, on both feet, that is. Okay. So... So, go ahead. So you had the surgery. Mm-hmm. And did you have to wear did you wear casts afterwards? Yeah, so I was put back in casts for okay. another four um or five months, I think, after the surgery. After the surgery. Okay. Yeah. And, and then, then did you go back into boots and bar? Yes. So then okay. after I think I was probably almost a year old at this point, mm-hmm. I was in boots and bar until I think I started school. So we start school at four years old um and at that point it just wasn't really doable for um we actually have really strict uniform rules and the shoes weren't um they kind of weren't allowed within the 
the school uniform requirements. So I was just straight out of them into normal um, little brogues, I think, at that stage. Wow. And just tell everybody where you got your treatment and where you're from now. Yes, of course. I don't know if the accent gives it away, but um, I'm from Ireland. I was born in Northern Ireland and I did, I think, the majority of my treatment in the North. Um, And yeah, some of my appointments and doctor's visits are in the South, but Mm -hmm. um, the treatment was quite similar um, in both UK and Ireland. Um, But I I do want to talk a little bit about actually the decision to go for surgery, because that was a really big um, point of my treatment plan, at least. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, uh, basically, really early on when surgery was first put to my parents, they were kind of apprehensive about it. Um, Mm -hmm. They went away and they did a lot of their own research and just reading around the subject especially about the Ponsettia method, which, so I I got my surgery back in 2000. And at that time, it wasn't widely like Mm -hmm. recognized in Ireland, at least as. Yeah, it was just kind of emerging at that point. So it really, I think, wasn't considered as a viable option for a Mm -hmm. lot of hospitals. Um, uh, But they they had heard that it was beginning to grow and be recognized by other professionals. and so uh, they approached the doctor then with this idea that maybe we would try something less invasive. Um, but he, unfortunately, he denied that it was um, a credible source of treatment at the time. And he said he had never used it. He didn't know any of his colleagues who'd ever used it um, and that he didn't think it would work, basically. They they did go to seek a second opinion, um, but it was at the same hospital and they just reiterated the same thing um and ultimately you know they did decide to go with the surgery um I think especially because you know I was their first child they'd never heard of the condition before I'd been diagnosed Uh and I think you do put a lot of trust in your doctors and your doctor's opinions but um (laughs) what was really I think a little bit heartbreaking for them was they brought me then for a a follow-up appointment not even a year later and the Ponsettia method posters were actually up in the waiting room. The doctor had retired. His his replacement was pushing that method. Um, oh. And so, yeah, that, that was hard to take. The mm. only thing is, you know, in hindsight, you never know whether my condition was too severe for, right. um, for Ponsettia only and maybe surgery. Maybe it was necessary. Um, but I think they definitely felt in the years that followed as if, that kind of overshadowed a lot of, um, you know, interactions with medical staff and kind of how they viewed the condition. Um, yeah. yeah. In the early years. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. How did your parents decide to do the surgery? Is the Was the only surgery you had done at eight months old or did you have subsequent surgeries? So it was two separate surgeries, but I believe it was within that that year, I think within a month of each other. Um, okay. Interestingly, this is hugely jumping in time. I've been offered recently a few, few times in checkups, um, like an ankle fusion surgery as a follow-up. Mm. Um, I, I have a really low range of motion, which, because of course, clubfoot is, is a whole spectrum. And yeah. unfortunately, my kind of, the depth of my condition is quite severe still even. And um, 
So I am considering a second surgery, but it was one of those things where it might not have been necessary if I hadn't had surgery in the first place, because it's led to a few other, um, not complications, but but a lot of um, tension within my ankle, a lot of pressure put on my um, joint. But yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I can't imagine being a parent and it's like you said, you trust, you put a lot of trust in the medical community to do what's best, not just for yourself, but especially for your kids. And to feel as though you push for something and then that was like a no, and then it changed Mm -hmm. to a yes right after it was done. I'm sure that was really uh, difficult for your parents to kind of manage. But the reality is, like you said, you just never know what the spectrum Mm -hmm. is. And, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that parents make the best decisions they have with the, with the information and access that they are capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And so um, when your parents listen to this, I hope they know that there is no judgment on our end at least yeah. for me, but from the community in general, because it really is, it's easy to um, fall into a trap of like, oh, I wish we would have done this different or that different. But the reality mm-hmm. is we just can only work with what we have happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a big takeaway would actually be within that seeking of a second opinion, which I think is so important, no matter mm-hmm. what medical decision that you're making. Um I think going outside the hospital that you're in or maybe mm. slightly further afield because um, just mm-hmm. you know, the way that the medical community is structured within hospitals, I think a lot of people will tend to come to the same conclusion or even they'll then speak to that doctor while they're coming to their opinion. So, um, yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. And I think that it's definitely that's something that's different with the universal health care in Europe Mm -hmm. than we have in the U.S. In the U.S., it's one of the benefits of maybe the only benefit, I don't really know, (laughs) of the privatization of it is the choices. Like It's Mm -hmm. like the ability to um, go to different places and get different differing opinions. And I get to choose where my daughter gets treated. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, from the all the people I've had the conversations with who are in Europe, it seems to be more difficult to get those second opinions and those really non-biased second opinions within the same community with what you're in. And I will say, I mean, it is fantastic that all the treatment I received when I was kind of under, I think, 15 was entirely free and it it Mm -hmm. was on the NHS. um, Yeah. So there's there's so many positives to it, but I I think not even that the quality is any worse, but just Mm -hmm. sometimes it may benefit you kind of reaching out a wee bit further afield. (laughs) Yeah, it's the options aspect of it sometimes, right? And when you have, I mean, you guys were just on the precipice of the Ponsetti method really taking hold. And the truth is, if your doctor wasn't trained in the Ponsetti method anyways, it wouldn't have been successful. And so that part is um, just a timeline thing. Oh, it is, of course. Totally. And I think that as well, you know, in the follow-up appointments over the next few years, mm-hmm. it's also tough because, you know, they'd be in waiting rooms and every other kid 
would have had um that form of treatment that you yeah. know that they're, they're meeting or talking to um mm. but but it it was honestly just a matter of years it was a bit of unluckiness I think yeah. so what would you say the impact like do you have memories of your club foot treatment um, um and how did how did it just overall impact your childhood I think for me club foot was something that was always there in the background um mm. And honestly, it would only pop up now and again as mm-hmm. usually an inconvenience or a bit of a bit of a source of frustration. Um, I, from the ages of um, when I had the surgery at one until I was, I think, 14 or 15, which was when I was discharged. But I was a member, like an outpatient member of the children's hospital mm-hmm. and we have yearly updates. So I come in and I think it's the sort of usual format would be a little bit of physio, a little bit of watching me walk and measuring how much movement I had at that point, or mm-hmm. um, kind of noticing if there was any changes and stuff like that. And honestly, those were good memories because I would get out of school early. Mm-hmm. My dad would have to pick me up. We'd get a, we'd get a treat on the way home, like a, a bun in a cafe or something. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was just always something I had, but that never really, Mm. It wasn't the focus. It was not the focus of my yeah. life. And it was something that was, yeah, like I said, in the background. Um, mm-hmm. Except, you know, there were times when I think I think it can almost be underestimated the impact that the condition can have when, mm-hmm. when you really are in pain. And mm-hmm. for me, that would be long walks or, um, you know, excessive exercise or um I don't know a hiking trip or a yeah, holiday right, right. Yeah. yeah that's an interesting point I think I have heard that from uh, not in those exact words but the same sort of idea of like it is it's in the background and but it's and I think it gets this idea that when your feet look corrected and they are corrected that they're cured when mm-hmm. the reality is they're not. It's not as if your club foot is no longer a club foot. It's mm-hmm. like, and I think as a parent, I've really had to wrap my head around that um, because I want I want it to be cured. I want her to be done forever. Like we're out of boots and bar. So I'm like, she doesn't have club foot anymore, but the reality is she always will. And so to be able to address those kind of long-term, like you said, underestimated impact of it. And it does creep up. I haven't ever talked to anybody who didn't have some sort of lasting impact from their clubfoot treatment. And not always, you know, like you said, not a focal point, but it's still there. And yeah. how are how is the medical community supporting adults who have who have clubfoot and achieve whatever it is that they need to right mm-hmm. I, sorry go ahead I was gonna say do you think it limited you at all like did did it help did it make like did you make decisions based on your ability yeah, yeah so I think to explain this a bit more I'd need to talk a little bit about I think the switch from being a child into teenager or young adult, that kind of mm. um, growing up, because mm. I think so initially when you're a kid, when you're under 
under 12, 13, um, I think growing taller and your feet actually growing had an impact, firstly. And secondly, you will just notice your kind of typical day or your um, activities are different the older you get. So you start to walk a bit more or mm -hmm. sporting increases in its kind of, you know, in school, like we, we would do a lot of cross country, unfortunately for me, uh, like long distance running or kind of just sports that require more from you the older that you get. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that is when, so like, as you get older, I was in more pain than when I was younger. My childhood was really almost untouched mm -hmm. from the kind of negative sides of club foot. Um, once I was out of braces, that is. Um, but like, one thing that I, a slight regret I would have had, I think, and this would be for a lot of club feet parents or, or children themselves would be that I actually never told the school that I had the condition. I never once used it as, not as an excuse, but I never used it to get out of maybe doing something that I probably shouldn't have done, like the long distance running, um, which would leave me for days afterwards with really, really painful um, sore feet. And I just, I wanted to, to be like everyone else at that age. And therefore I didn't let it stop me from doing anything. But then of course, on the flip side, you're left with um, days when I would, I would get out of bed and I'd be kind of like hobbling around the house and really felt the, um, the impact of, you know, of overexerting myself. Um, even there was a family holiday um, when I was maybe like, nine I think and this is the earliest memory of pain was we were in Disneyland which requires so much walking mm -hmm. and I ended up in a wheelchair very briefly while I was there because I, I just had completely you know I pushed myself far too much I hadn't said anything to my parents I'd been really enjoying what we were doing and I just I wasn't able to walk then um, afterwards the day after um, wow. so those are just little memories here and there. They definitely don't take away from I've had such a full life and a good childhood. Um, mm -hmm. But it's definitely been there. And that's it, it just pops. It kind of lingers in the background and then pops up every now and again, I think. So would you recommend you said it's one of your regrets. Would you recommend parents having the conversation with the school or having a conversation with their child about talking to the school because I understand what you're saying like when you approach those teenage years you're desperate to just fit in and not stick out and so um it makes it tricky as a parent I can only imagine my daughter being like I don't want you to tell anyone but I'm like but this is for your yeah health so what would you what would you recommend to parents it's such a it's such a tough one I think you're right um I I do think you know at the end of the day mm -hmm. it is their health and their well-being and even their happiness because when you're in so much pain you, you can't even um get involved to the fullest I think telling the school is a is a right decision I don't think you'll regret it it, it even you know it doesn't mean that there's going to be any um necessarily changes made just to make sure that they're aware of and mm -hmm. that that option is there I think that if, if you're 
you know, son or daughter does need to sit out of something or or even um, have something slightly tailored to them within an activity they're doing. Um, You know, we're so lucky with Clubfoot that it really only affects sporting activities, really. Um, You know, you can you can still do so well in school Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. socially it doesn't impact really. Um, But yeah, I I think making them aware and making your child like you said aware that they can go forwards to the school if say on a sports day they just they can't um uh-huh. get to the same level I uh-huh. think yeah having it as an option yeah I think that awareness is really just key and maybe having that conversation with your child about why it's important to you know so it's um having those conversations throughout it's an interesting um perspective as a parent who's kind of done with the boots and bar treatment and to see kind of the community go, okay, we're done. Like we're done with Clubfoot. And then it becomes not a part of their childhood anymore. Um, which I don't know is really a positive or negative thing. And I, I wonder what you did your parents have like continuing conversations with you about your club foot after you were done with treatment um what did that look like for you guys yeah so because I was I was thinking about this when I was when I knew I was coming on today and I realized that I had no big wow you have club foot moment ever in my life I think I just always knew I had it so there was never any you know sit down table conversation um and that way, I think it was better. I could just bring it up if I wanted to talk about it and they'd answer my questions and they would kind of um, point me towards understanding a little bit more about my um, condition. But yeah, I, I did feel the kind of lack of treatment, I think. in It was it was later. It was more because I was an outpatient till 15. It meant that, you know, if there's any burning questions you had with the doctors, I was still able to kind of get in touch. But after that disappeared, I did feel a lot more kind of um, mm. just, you know, alone to deal with the condition. And I, I've never met anyone else who's had club foot in real life, apart from maybe in the waiting rooms when I was younger. But I've never met anybody in person. Wow. Um, and so you do feel like it's something quite unique to you or just mm-hmm. you know, um, different in that way. But yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think that's, I think you bring up a good point. I think that it can feel really isolating. Um, I know I, I feel that way as a parent, uh, mm-hmm. even though it's probably the most common birth defect. So that's yeah. the part that you, that I think are, Am I doing a disservice to my daughter or the community if we don't talk about it? Because then it does create this isolation, just not for myself, but also for my daughter who's growing. Like I want, um, I mean, obviously she's in a different position because like her whole life is so much about Clubfoot, but um, I don't think there's any way (laughs) she's going to avoid it at this point. (laughs) But it definitely is like, it's crazy to think that there are all these people walking around with clubfoot and we never talk about it. And we never, um, because it's kind of this, 
you know, condition that people, you can't see it. And so you don't, um, so you don't talk about it or think about it. And the treatment's done so early in life. So it wasn't until my daughter was diagnosed and I started telling people about it that all these people were like, oh yeah, this person had that. Or, oh yeah, like there are all of these people within the, within just your life that have experience with it, but we don't talk about it. And it's such an interesting I don't know. And I can't, I, I don't know why that is. I, I can't have never really figured out whether that's why it is or whether it's a positive or negative thing. Like, um, and I don't, I think it just depends. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And funny, I don't know if you've ever watched Love Island. I think you have it in the U S as well. And um, there was a contestant in the, in the British one with club foot. And right. I was so taken aback when I, um, wow. I saw him and I was like, this is so bizarre. Someone with my condition, which, you know, I, I, you yeah. don't hear about all the time, yeah. really representing it on national TV. And um, it's just nice to see how, it, you know, it doesn't need to be the focus of someone's life. You can be existing and doing well mm-hmm. with this as a sort mm-hmm. of, as a side note. <laughs> yeah, well, it's part of the story, right? It doesn't have to be your whole story. And I think that's the balance is... um you you aren't your condition, but mm-hmm. your condition is a part of you. And how do we start to um, have more of that within the clubfoot community, right? So more representation of people, because uh, I think it's been great. There's been a lot of athletic figures who athletes, you know, that are on kind of main stages that have said they've had clubfoot, but we don't actually hear a whole lot about their experience with clubfoot. You don't really hear about their treatment or, um, so that's the part that's also interesting to me because it's a person with clubfoot, um, but they don't really talk about it because the parents are the ones that really experienced well, a lot yeah. of the treatment. So it's an, it's an interesting dynamic, um, Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to hear your perspective on it because I do think you also have to address where your where your kid is and what what your kid's personality is and how much they need to talk. But it really sounds like at fifteen, when you kind of were almost discharged, right, and your follow ups weren't happening anymore, is when things started to get difficult for you. They did. Um, oh. Before, actually, before I get into that, there was one thing that you mentioned earlier, which I, I wanted to pick up on slightly. Um, you said about the appearance um, and it not being visible or not noticeable. Um, I, I have never found that. For me, um, my feet are very noticeably still quite deformed looking. Mm. And even my, you know, my entire leg below the knee is sort of hugely different in, in shape size to other people's I'm not not able to build calf muscles I think Mm -hmm. that might have been because of the surgery but um I know it's common with with people yeah I think that's yeah that's why they call it a lower limb deformity is because it actually affects the entire lower limb not just the foot so yeah it does and I think Mm -hmm. that coupled with the surgery scars Unfortunately, as I got older, I I was more self-conscious about that. Uh I think, you know, it really reared its head when people were wearing dresses in the summer or like sandals and, you know, like heels and pumps and shoes that I just was never comfortable in. Um, And it's like I knew that although I really wanted to wear 
the, the pretty, um, really narrow, usually shoes, I would pay for it the next day. Um, and it's like whether that trade-off was worth it. Yeah. I think that's yeah. for women's shoes in general. Um, I think maybe yeah. guys would be a bit luckier in, in that regard. That's probably true. Yeah, because they don't have the heel aspect. I've heard that from other um, women with club foot saying like the heel factor. It's like it's just not even doable. And yeah. it does. But I think that's a good point. It It's everybody on the spectrum is different and the visibility of um, the deformity and the condition just is dependent on each person, right? And what your, especially surgery experience has been. I mean, at this point, um, my daughter's five and the biggest difference is her toenails. Her toenails are still very different from her, her sisters or other kids her age. So, um, you know, she always, she's like super into painting her nails right now, which is just the bane of my existence because nail polish is so difficult to clean up, but she is really into it and painting her toenails and painting. There's just not a lot of, um, landscape to work with there. So, um, I do think that's, a good point. And I appreciate you bringing it up because even though we feel as though it's not visible and sometimes when you have shoes on, right, you have tennis shoes on, it's not as visible, but it's always, um, in your mind thinking about it. Yeah. Right. And I, I said this to my mom really recently. I was like, I don't even know whether it actually looks as mm. that is the wrong word, but as, as obvious as I think it does or whether yeah. Just because I'm really aware of it being there, right. I'll consider it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Has anyone ever said anything to you? Yeah, yeah, they. I've had a few kind of not so nice memories. I think in younger, younger kind of years in school, like um, primary school. I'm not sure what you call it. Kindergarten. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember like a girl sort of pulling my sock down because we were in summer dresses and. Um, little ankle socks and she because my my scars go up to the back of my knee Mm. and to be honest it was purely out of curiosity but you know when you hate anyone drawing attention to something that makes you quite different as a child Mm -hmm. Uh, I I remember that and then it's always usually when I make new friends it eventually they'll ask because they are so noticeable the scars at least it looks like I've been in some kind of I don't know shark attack or like Mm -hmm. um accident so it will I'll get questions and I I just I'm to deal with it now I I think it's just part of who I am and Mm. um yeah I I I've never been embarrassed it's just Mm. definitely when you're younger you you don't want to stand out I think draw attention to it yeah (laughs) yeah I get that so we've talked a little bit about um when we spoke before about the impacts like of your diagnosis and treatment just on your family. So I want you just to talk a little bit about that with us, about how the clubfoot diagnosis and treatment had an impact on the rest of your family. Yeah. So um, I, my mom was first aware that there was something different or maybe something wrong with me while she was still pregnant. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't actually know at which stage, but it was one of the earlier scans picked up that I think there was not enough amniotic fluid or something like that. And they were concerned that there would be a number of conditions wrong. Mm-hmm. And 
they actually felt then very lucky when they found out it was only club foot um, mm-hmm. because I think it could have been much worse and for a while it maybe looked like it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So I suppose, you know, they had longer to prepare than some parents who maybe don't find out until baby's born and um, looks a little bit different. But yeah, they were ready for it. Um, what they weren't expecting was how severe. So I think the doctors did slightly... Um, downplay I think to anxious parents at mm-hmm. the scanning stages you know it's it's very fixable it's just mm-hmm. unnoticeable she'll just need you know a quick little operation and it'll be or not operation at that point um plaster casts and it'll be yeah. done so I think you know I, I was their first child um they're still in their 20s when they had me and you know any new parent is going to have a lot of concern um mm-hmm. but I think after we got they got past the sort of surgery which they hadn't wanted it it really was a kind of uphill journey from there yeah. um, we have we other, they have two other kids um i'm the oldest of two so yeah. my brother and sister were born completely healthy um and for them then i think a balancing act slightly began with um their clubfoot child compared yeah. to my siblings because you know, as I said before, things like holidays where you would do a lot of walking or um, we're a family that would love to go hiking and quite adventurous. And it was things like that had to then, you know, take into consideration the different abilities. Um, And I think even they would, as I grew up, would say things like, you know, are you sure that you can? Because I would always sort of want to push myself, but they they would know um, the the ramification of like the next day being kind of in pain. Um, one thing that I don't ever remember was them telling my brother or sister that I had it. I, I think because it was something that I we talked about, you know, in front of them. Yeah. Um, there was no sort of sit down and mm-hmm. discuss what it is or what it would be like to have a, a sister with club foot, mm. which maybe maybe would be good, but I, I I don't think we needed it as a family because. Like I said, we were very open about it. And yeah. um I yeah, I would definitely ask questions about the condition while they were around. So mm-hmm. it wasn't something that we kept separate from mm-hmm. um family life. Did it make you feel different from your siblings? Honestly, no. I think mm-hmm. because there are so many things that could set us apart from personality that there's a big age gap between me and my youngest um, sister. She's only, um, what is she now? She's 12, so she's nearly 10 years younger. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, it. there were so many other things that set us apart that it never felt um, really big in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, some frustration would kick in at, like, knowing that, you know, my brother and sister were able to walk as far as they wanted and I would start really feeling it in my feet and my legs uh-huh. but yeah there, it never really you know separated yeah. us. it never made you feel like you were isolated within your own no age. yeah yeah so what advice do you have for parents who have clubfoot children I think I think it's really important to never um, 
never make your child feel so different because of the condition, which we've kind of touched on that. But I think, you know, it's like you said, it's a part of them, but it doesn't um, it doesn't overshadow anything else. And um, even like, you know, if you want to become an athlete, if you want to do sport, do dance, anything like that, there are ways that you can, um, you know, bring your child towards those activities in a way that will benefit them without causing undue stress on their feet or um mm -hmm. I think it's you know not limiting them but making sure that they're comfortable to speak up if they are in pain um mm -hmm. and on that note it would just be making sure they're always available for the child to come to them I think and you know be like mom I do have mm -hmm. you know sore feet today I'm not going to be able to do because mm -hmm. I think that one thing that I would be guilty of is you know just pushing through and then ending up worse. So um, mm. creating that safe space to talk, I think. Mm. Do you think it would be helpful to do check-ins to say like, how are you feeling? Like after a long day or after, I can just imagine um, like a soccer game or something and, or would that be too much attention? I, I, I wouldn't feel it. You, I think, I think you're right that, you know, it depends on the personality yeah. or the, yeah. you know, what the child is like but I think even just letting them know that you care and that you are there they need um because like I mean you know it was once so bad that I was in a wheelchair like it can you know for some people it can get really like yeah. I also like my feet would physically sort of swell up or go very red if I walked a lot and sometimes you know you do need help dealing with the the side effects and the kind of uh, frustrating things that come with having a foot. Yeah, I think that helps me think about long term because it is a balancing act. Like you talked about that with your parents and the siblings in your treatment, but it's also a balancing act I see as how I approach her as she grows and make sure that she doesn't feel as though clubfoot's her whole life but it's also a part of her life. And I know that like the awareness factor, it's almost just like, I'm aware of it and I'm available for you to talk to about it. And we're going to make people who need to know aware of it as well. Right. Like whether that's gym teachers or coaches or um, anyone that may be in a position that they, she could come to and say, Hey, listen, I'm, you know, having, a lot of soreness today. I'm just going to take it easy and making yeah. those adjustments as needed. Um, without changing actually, the focal point. I, I have even had an experience where, um, like a gym teacher's told me I'm running wrong or that mm -hmm. like my form, right. And, you know, instead of telling them why that is, yeah. I just, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try to <laughs> do right. it better. Right. Yeah. It just seems like such a balance to try to make them not like know it's okay to be different and that everybody's different because a lot of like what you've talked about I I had a well I still have a condition but in um in high school like it really limited my sporting abilities and I was like in my gym and all of that and I didn't want to be different but the reality was I was and so um and it wasn't because I wanted to it was because my body literally had limitations that it couldn't um, mm -hmm. but I was desperate to not make that a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, 
I can be our own worst enemy, I think. I know, <laughs> especially when we're teenagers and we think that we know everything, mm-hmm. you know, and we just want to be the same as everybody. So I can see as um, as my daughter grows, kind of figuring out that balance of making sure that she knows it's okay to be different, um, mm-hmm. but also that her, you know, not making that difference like her whole focus, right? And also there's different times in life where it's going to impact you more. So like something I haven't mentioned was I moved countries to go to university or college as you would call it. Yeah. And, And, you know, living away from home, not having any kind of transport. So you're walking everywhere. It's just, it's gonna, it's gonna make things different. Um, and you know, those are just certain times in your life where Clubfoot sort of moves out of the background and kind of becomes more of a daily thing that you are aware of. Yeah. Trying to, I suppose, figure out how to live without um, having like a flare up of, of pain. Yeah. How did you manage that? I actually, um, around that time, I finally took into my own hands of like, okay, let's look up this condition more um I realized at that point it was considered disability especially mm-hmm. in the UK which I'd never thought um I would never have thought I would be disabled before from what I have mm-hmm. but you know the more I read and other people's stories as well I realized that sometimes maybe in my own mind I downplayed it as something but it really it, it did impact my life to mm-hmm. such a degree that by kind of I guess changing how I perceived it as a disability helped because I reached out to dis- disability services at my university. And um, this is something I would highly suggest anyone with Clubfoot does because they provided me um, the ability to get accommodation really close to my um, faculty and to sort of the library and things like that. And that alone, I think, honestly transformed the whole university experience because I just know if I'd been walking like some places were almost an hour's walk away from campus or more um yeah that made a huge difference and then even just having gone in and spoken to them in person and knowing that you could kind of rely on those services if you needed to um because at one point they put me in touch with a physiotherapist for free just from the university um yeah sorted me out when I was in a bit more pain um so yeah I think there is help and support there it just you kind of need to push yourself um to seek it out yeah it sounds like you did a good job of advocating for yourself it's like when you were kind of then on your own in a different country away <laughs> from your parents you were like uh and it became um more focal for you you know you were like oh yeah this is this is going to have an impact on my life, my daily life, if I'm expected to walk this much, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. it's, it's also like the balance of, you know, you still want to do all the things mm-hmm. and make the, you know, have the full college experience and mm-hmm. um, versus knowing your limits and when right. to kind of the yeah. balance. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is definitely something that everybody can relate to when they go off to university, (laughs) disability condition or not, right? We're all trying to figure out what our limitations are. Um, And it's just a little bit more when you have something that um, 
impacts your daily life like that. It makes kind of what we take for granted as just walking. Um, when those things become more difficult, you're mm -hmm. like, okay, what am I, I have to do something to address these issues for my longevity, right? Yeah. It's an amazing quote that I'm stealing from someone, I'm not sure who, mm -hmm. and it was that um, having a disability or having a condition like clubfoot it becomes almost like a part-time job that you didn't yeah. sign up for, that you don't want to have, but you know, you're you're going there every day. So, you know, it it, it can intrude on your life sometimes. Mm. Um, and you you didn't ask for it, but you have it now. And it's about making the best. And and even, you know, I think it does benefit me in many ways. It's made me be more creative, even with my solutions and sort of mm -hmm decisions and sorting things out um it's made me think a bit outside the box if I know something's going to be too much for me like what is the alternative how am I going to um mm -hmm. we we have a thing called Duke of Edinburgh um which maybe you haven't heard of but it's like an equivalent would maybe be like a scouts badge or something where it's like an expedition for kids gotcha. you know, okay uh -huh. and typically it's hiking mm -hmm. which I just wasn't going to suit um, so instead, I arranged mine to be a canoeing expedition. I had lots of fun and I learned so much. I'd never canoed before, but um, I had so much fun. And it's it's those kind of things. It's like yeah. the choices that you have to make that push you out of your comfort zone um, yeah. because of clubfoot, I guess. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, I like to wrap up every conversation that I have with like a moment is there a moment on your journey that really just sticks out to you? I think um, there's a really positive memory from um, that first year, actually, at uni again. And it was when I I had this dance teacher um, and I'd started, with the, I'd never danced before and I really wanted to, you know, try something new. Mm -hmm. And I'd been going for a few weeks, I think, at that point and she pulled me aside towards the end of a class and she'd noticed I, I was having a lot of difficulty with the positions and with mm -hmm. um, certain movements and like flexibility especially and she kind of noticed that and she'd asked me if I then would like to maybe come in early one morning just me and her mm -hmm. and I did and she was so lovely she um, gave me exercises to try that would help and then she sort of decided on a different set of movements that would be possible for me with my um, feet the way they are and it was on it was just such a lovely um, I think moment of connection and feeling like you know there's really good people out here who mm. will support you and will um, I suppose notice it and then actually make a difference yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. She's she's a great lady. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, that's such a good moment. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And I I think so much of what you said has been so powerful today and I just really appreciate you sharing your story and your experience mm -hmm. with us and um I think it's really going to be beneficial to so many people. So thank you so much for being here. No worries. Thank you yeah. for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to thank Catherine for being a guest on the podcast today. I know from a parent's perspective, I learned so much from her about um, how to manage 
helping my cutie as she grows and getting her the support that she needs. And I'm just so grateful for Catherine being willing to share her experience. And I'm sure that you guys have all learned just as much as I have. So is, as always, thank you so much for listening and feel free to share this podcast episode with anybody you think it would help or they would benefit from it. Um, if you need to get in contact with me, you can do so through my website at maureenhoff.com or my Instagram account at Clubfoot Chronicles Mom. Until next time.